Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report Top 5 Podcast. We're getting ready to close out 2018, and we're squeezing in one more podcast. If you haven't listened to any of the past ones, you can catch up on progreport.com. You can also listen to them on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, or Podbean. Some are also available on YouTube. And of course, don't forget about Prog Report Radio and Prog Report on Facebook and Twitter. So we're everywhere and you can find us at anywhere online that you visit. And we hope you've enjoyed the year. We certainly have had a great time, lots of great guests. And uh, we're going to wrap it up with one more great one in anticipation for the upcoming Cruise to the Edge and the 50th anniversary of this fantastic band. And while we did do Yes Top 5 albums, we are going to go ahead and do the Yes Top 5 songs which is a much more daunting task uh, with all the great songs by this Hall of Fame legendary band. To only pick five from all the eras and all the lineups is going to be difficult. And so we want you to play along. Please send us your top five as well. We have some great guests. We have two guys that are really well-versed in Yes, uh, probably qualify as experts in the band. So we are uh, going to bring them along. So our first guest is somebody you know very well from his Yes Years 50 podcast on our podcast network, and he's uh, been on a bunch of other podcasts, the Fantasy Draft and our Best Albums of 2018, and he's become quite the regular all the way from Northern Ireland. So please welcome Jeff Bailey once again. Hello. Hello. Thanks, Jeff, for doing this again. And uh, we're really excited once again to have somebody who I guess loves being on these podcasts with us and given his lists and uh, it's always an honor when he's able to free himself and join us from his busy schedule so let's welcome the ever busy mike portnoy back to the show hey list the list master general (laughs) (laughs) well thanks mike once again it's always a pleasure to have you man and and uh everybody knows what the quite the yes fan that you are yeah absolutely and and of course with the crews coming up and you being really one of the, I don't know, ringmasters of these cruises of late. This was a perfect fit and made a lot of sense uh, to do. Um, of course, we're running a contest. This, this podcast is in line with the contest, but by the time many hear this, you know, a few weeks or a month later from now, that contest is way over and you missed out. So sorry about that. But um, if uh, you're listening to this in time and it's still 2018, then uh, you have a lot to pay attention to. And there's more information on Prog Report website on all of that. Uh, so before we get started on our Yes Top 5 songs that we're all going to pick, uh, of course, we like to interview our special guest. Mike, you have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, a couple of singles are out from the new Neil Morse Band album, The Great Adventure, which comes out in January. What's going on with that, uh, with that album? Uh, you know, what can you tell us about it? Uh, well, I, I think the cat's out of the bag. It's a, a another double concept album. It's, uh, I don't know if I use the word sequel or companion to similitudes, but it's definitely uh, a continuation of that world. So, um, yeah, it's uh, a mammoth epic adventure. And, uh, you know, the two singles that have come out so far are kind of, you know, a little more 
mainstream commercial. I guess that's the way you always have to roll with these singles. Even with yeah. Similitude, we came out with, uh, I guess, City of Destruction and... Um, uh, so Far Gone. So Far Gone. Yeah, yeah. so, the, you know, the way I look at... When you have a concept album, these are more like, um, you know, like commercials or sneak or trailers, you know. Uh, you know, with, with Tommy, you can't judge all of Tommy from Pinball Wizard or you can't just judge all of the wall from Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. You know, they're kind of just like little... Uh, excerpts of, of a much, much bigger picture. And it's the same with these. But, we're, you know, we're going to probably have a few more singles out before the album comes out in January, uh, just to give little tasters and teasers. But the real experience is going to be listening to that album from start to finish and, and, and enjoying the journey. Yeah, I, I've had the pleasure of uh, already listening to this. Jeff has as well. And uh, I, I mean, again, you guys have to do yourselves every time with these things. Um, not to, I don't want to give too much away. I hate kind of doing that, but there is a lot more to it, obviously, than the singles. It is, it, it's a little bit heavier at times than, than the last one. I think that's as much as I really want to maybe say about it. But do you agree with that? It's a little bit more chunky. I guess I don't really think about these things, to be honest. It kind of just comes out. And when you have like a, you know, a double album, you try to have a little balance of everything. But yeah, there are definitely heavier moments and welcome to the world too is pretty heavy and shreddy. And uh, I think it's a matter of just, you know, wanting to utilize Eric, uh, not only vocally and not only in terms of the writing, but in terms of his, you know, his, his shredding abilities as well. Uh, but once again, like similitude, it was a full band effort and just something I could not be prouder of. It really is just one of the highlights of my career. Once again, I don't want to go on the record saying that again, because so much was made <laughs> right. of me saying that last time that this time around, I'm just kind of tiptoeing around my, my, my personal thoughts. But really, I, I think, um, you know, it can be held side by side with similitude, which I think is saying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, in terms of, in terms of the album, I suppose if we, if we read the credits, we see, you know, Mike Portnoy drums and vocals you know, what What else is it that Mike Portnoy brings to a, a Neil Morse band album? Is there Are there things you could point to in this album where you go, well, you see that, that was that was my bit that isn't just playing the drums? I mean, I could probably do that, honestly, with every album I've ever made. Um, uh, you know, some with some bands more than others, uh, but in the Neil Morse band, my contributions are usually that of... Uh, an arranger you know obviously you have su such uh pr you know uh prolific writers like neil and bill is also a well of ideas as well uh when you have guys like that in the band my role is usually not to sit there and come up with riffs my role is to kind of sit there and sort through all of these ideas and come in with the notes and come in prepared uh you know the way uh, i guess a co-producer would i'm usually the one doing the homework, making the notes and coming in and saying, Hey, remember that one, uh, you know, the Genesis thing that Bill had, that would be great if we mix it together with this new riff that we just came up right here, you know? And I think Neil's always the first to give me that credit. He calls me the, the gleaner. Uh, yeah. You know, when you have Neil contributing hours and hours of music, somebody's got to sit there and have a, an idea of what's there and what's on the table and how to utilize it. And I think that's my strongest role. It's kind of like the movie editor, right? Who takes all the yeah. stuff they film and then makes Absolutely. a movie out of it. Yeah, um, very, very much so. You, you know, is is the key to these albums uh, that one central theme? Does do, do you through all the music after you write all of it and you're doing all the lyrics, you stumble upon this love that never dies 
hook. And right. is that, then you go, okay, that's it. This is the theme. Now we know. And then you build around that. Is that well, where things start with these things? That's where they start. But the problem, and it's a great problem to have, but the problem with this band is there's never one main theme. There's usually about five or six of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, it's a great problem to have. But usually we find ourselves with these albums having literally, you know, four, five, six different themes that are all so strong. So over the course of a double album, you could twist and turn them and put them in different keys and put them in different time signatures and have one played fast and one played slow. And that's kind of the way you write. And and we learned that from, from the masters like Genesis and Yes and, you know, the bands that were doing that right. in the early days of Prague. But that's like the key. That's Prague writing 101. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, And not only are we able to utilize in this case – all of the incredible themes that we were writing for this album, but because it was a continuation of similitude, we also had a handful of themes that we wanted to bring back from that album as well. So when you listen to this album from start to finish, you're not only getting a brand new, almost two hour experience, you're also getting it sprinkled with, with, uh, you know, flashbacks to, to the previous album. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. And I, I did the same thing with similitude and I did the same thing with this one when I first got it. I, I clear everybody away and I sit myself in a room for two hours because I don't, you can't be disturbed when you're first listening to these. At least that's how I, that's yeah, how absolutely. I do it. it. It should be treated like watching a movie. You don't want to watch yeah. a, a great movie, you know, while you're doing the dishes, you know, you want to sit down and, and, and enjoy it. And yeah. that, uh, an album like this should absolutely be treated that way as well. You also have, uh, you just came back rather from Flying Colors sessions, which is really exciting because, you know, sometimes these super groups, they, they're one and dones, maybe twice and dones, but you really, you're looking at a third album here, which doesn't happen a lot with a band like that. Right. So that's really exciting. What, you know, what can you tell us about the sessions and what, what made it all happen again? Well, you bring up a good point. I think three is always the magic number with these super groups because anybody could do one. And then usually there's a lot of excitement from the first, so you get together to do a second, see if you can do it again. But the real key is the bands that could do a third. And yeah. uh, so we're, Flying Colors have finally crossed that line. <laughs> but yeah, what can I tell you? It's uh, such a magical band, such a special band. Uh, the combination of personalities and musical styles that go into the melting pot with this band are incredible. You know, obviously you have me and Neil are kind of like team Mike and Neil, and then you have Steve and Dave, which are kind of team Steve and Dave. You know, they do as many collaborations as Neil and I do. So you kind of have those two worlds coming together, and then Casey is is the glue. I love that. I love that Neil and I have bring the prog. Dave and Steve bring, like, the, the, the instrumental dregs kind of flavor. But Casey brings this kind of, like, Radiohead meets Coldplay meets Muse yeah. meets U2. He brings in that element that really none of us have in, in any of other any of our other bands or projects uh what can i tell you about the album we, we wrote 10 songs um seven of which were written in the first session at steve's back in 2016 and then we got together at my place um this month and we wrote three more and we also went back to listen to the first seven to see if we needed to tweak anything but we didn't we were happy with everything so mm -hmm. that made 10 uh, I went off to Nashville last week and did all my drums. And at this point, they're being shipped off to the other guys to now work their magic. That's awesome. Does that work differently from, say, Neil Morse Band or Transatlantic or any of the other collaborations? Do you spend less time together as a band with Flying Colors because of the, the, the multiple schedules or is it similar? 
Well, the process is the same uh, in all cases, whether it be Neil Morse Band, Flying Colors, Transatlantic, or even any of my other bands, Sons of Apollo or Winery Dogs, Metal Allegiance. In all of these cases, we all get together to write and arrange. And sometimes people will come in with snippets and ideas. And then once again, I'll kind of be the gleaner and the arranger. And we all work together and collaborate, putting this stuff together. And then I'll go and record my drums. And along with those drums come some basic tracks as well. And from there, then everybody goes off and does their tracks. And, um, and then usually the vocals you know, get worked on with whoever's singing on the album. But in terms of faster or shorter, uh, the process is the same, but I would say the process is a little longer with Flying Colors, to, to be honest, because Steve is so incredibly um, anal, but in, in an amazing way, in, a, in the most complimentary way. He, nothing could go through the writing process without going through Steve's ears and fingers. Uh, you know, with, with something like Transatlantic or Neil Morse Band, there are other guys that might just be more passive and Neil and I just steamroll everybody. <laughs> but <laughs> right. Neil, and, Neil and I try to steamroll everybody in Flying Colors to keep it moving, but no, everything has to go through Steve. And if Neil puts out a riff or a, a, a you know, a, a progression or something, Steve always has to put twist on it and make a change or make a chord change or put a, a modulation or a key change and and I think that's what makes these songs so unique and kind of help take them away from the typical stereotypes that 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 people might get if it was only me and Neil just kind of steamrolling everybody yeah uh lastly before we get into the into the top five um I, I don't want you to give away anything that you don't want to give away, but just in terms of the cruise coming up, um, have you gotten down to finalizing what your set's going to be and, and who's playing with you and any, anything you can spill or it's all still hush hush? Yeah. Well, first part of the question is, yeah, it's completely decided on the set list is written. The musicians are chosen. Everybody's learning their parts and preparing for the cruise. So yeah, all that's, uh, done and, um, in the works, uh, what can I give away? I mean, I'll just say it's, I've, I've been very fortunate that cruise to the edge has given me this platform and given me, um, I, I, you know, they've given me kind of this role each year now where I have a permanent spot on the, on the cruise to kind of do my thing and put together these special shows. My first, my first uh, cruise to the edge, I did an MP and friends, tribute to Chris Squire and put together this entire set of Chris's music and Yes's music um, with, with so many of the guys on board. And it was so cool and so unique and such a, an honor for me to do. Then the next year I put together my 50th birthday show. Um, and that was so much fun and so unique. And last year uh, I didn't actually do an MP and friends show last year. Cause we kind of used that as the premiere for sons of Apollo, but this year for, uh, for uh, 2019, I'm going back to the MP and Friends uh, format. So I'll just say, use your imagination with what I did for my 50th birthday and what I did for the Yes tribute and the Chris Squire tribute. And, uh, you know, you kind of can get an idea of what you're getting. Anytime I've done any of these, they, they tend to be some of the most uh, special shows of my career. And uh, some of the stuff I have up my sleeve for, uh, for the next cruise to the edge, I think it's going to be just as special. Yeah. And really for people that haven't been uh, on the ship before and are on the fence, I mean, you can generally catch 
uh, Yes or Steve Hackett or some of the bands touring at, at some point throughout the year. But the stuff that Mike does and, uh, you know, Mike, that you do on these ships, really you don't see. No, they're, they're, they're aimed to be completely unique experiences, one yeah. of a kind, that if you're not on the ship, you're going to be kicking yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right, uh, unless anything else, Jeff, that you want to task, I'm going to go ahead and get started with the top five. I just always get sore kicking myself. I don't know. <laughs> someday, someday, someday. Uh, okay, so here we go. So what we're going to do is uh, we left this open to any, any era of the band, any lineup, whatever. Um, we didn't discuss our choices. I'm sure there'll be some overlapping. There, there sometimes is. Um, Mike, why don't you go first with your number five uh, yes song? All right. Can I give a, can I give a preface? Yeah, please. Uh, obviously, I'm a, a huge Yes fan, and I've loved them since I discovered them in the early 70s. One of the most important bands of my life and career. Uh, huge, huge influence on me. Uh, not only Bill Bruford and Alan White, but also the whole band. You know, just every one of those guys are a huge inspiration to me. And been very fortunate to have crossed paths with, with Yes so much through the years. You know, uh, Dream Theater and Yes toured together 2004. Uh, Transatlantic and John Anderson did a whole Yes set on my Progressive Nation cruise. Uh, like I just mentioned, I did a whole Chris Squire Yes tribute set on Cruise to the Edge. So I've had the opportunity to, to tour with Yes. I've had the opportunity to play so many Yes songs through the years and... Uh, you know, that being said, I just want to, you know, want to thank them for the huge influence they've been on me. So uh, get, getting into my list, uh, just coincidentally, they kind of go in reverse chronological order. I actually do have a definitive order, one, two, three, four, five, but um, they just so happen to run chronological if you look at them. So if I'm going to run them back from five backwards, they happen to coincidentally be reverse chronological. So once I give you the the number five, you'll see where my yes list ends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's uh, it's from the drama album, and, and it's Machine Messiah, the opening track on the drama album. Okay. And uh, what can I say about this? Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, when this came out, I thought it was the heaviest thing I have ever heard from Yes. I never heard Steve Howe have a guitar tone like that. The opening riff to this song was so heavy, and it was like, oh my, what's going on? Is this is this Yes? Um <laughs> And uh, and as as most longtime Yes fans know, there was a huge, huge um, period where Yes didn't play any of this material. All those years uh, after drama, once John Anderson came back, they never played any of this drama material until John left the band years ago. So for us Yes fans that love the drama album, and I love the entire album, not just Machine Messiah, but I love every song on the drama album. It's, to me, one of my... Uh, favorite Yes albums of all time, probably top three, maybe top four. Um, but there was always this gap. So uh, when Dream Theater toured with Yes in 2004, I remember uh, asking, uh, I asked Alan and Steve and Chris, I asked their blessing for Dream Theater to put a little, to put a little excerpt of Machine Messiah in our set. I thought it, was a, uh, it would be a great idea to play it and the Yes fans would love it because they don't normally get to hear it. Mm. But of course I wouldn't, just do that without asking those guys. So I asked Steve, Allen, and Chris their blessing 
And of course, they they loved the idea. I'm not sure if John was crazy about the idea, <laughs> but, but those three were thought it was the coolest idea ever. And we went ahead and, and did a little excerpt of it uh, each night in our set. And even at the last show in Mexico, Alan came behind the kit with me because I had that double kit at the time, and and he and I played it together, which was so much fun. Jeff, you're a big fan of drama, if I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, my, my preface, I suppose, is that uh, John Anderson was someone I knew through John Evangelis and through appearing on Mike Oldfield albums. Uh, those were both sort of things that were big, I suppose, in the UK at that time. And I knew he was in a band. And one day I went to my public library where I used to borrow vinyl albums and I grabbed the three Yes albums that I could find, which were... Um, the S album 90125 and Drama. Um, so I always say, you know, to me, I looked at these three albums and went, hang on a minute, there's two different drummers, there's two different keyboard players, and this guy was on the oldest one, and now he's on the newest one, and right. these people change around, which is why, I, you know, for, for me, that was what Yes were about from the start, and so I always get, when you see stuff on the internet of people fighting over the lineups, to me, the whole thing, right from my first experience, um, of Yes was that and Drama was one of the first albums that I heard and again being um, in the UK and going hang on that's the guys that sang Video Killed the Radio Star and <laughs> starts with this incredibly uh, heavy track as Mike said probably the heaviest thing um, that Yes have written which is why I'm dying on a prize for this my number five is also Machine Messiah oh, <laughs> wow. is it really? That's <laughs> So, and, and I just, you know, yeah, what he said, basically, if you see what I've written down here, it's practically, I'm channeling, channeling Mike here. Um, That's funny. You know, that, that combination of stuff that was very different, you know, things that you can tell were obviously worked up um, whenever Steve, Chris and Alan were a three piece trying to figure out what to do. Um, and, you know, that riff heavy stuff and yet the, you know, the new keyboard sounds that Jeff Downs brought, um, everything, it's its just a great track. Very cool. Wow, we've never had that, two of the same right out of the gate. So that's I, I have a feeling we're going to hit at least one of our <laughs> lists. At least one of our lists is going to be four out of five the same. I got a feeling. It's a good shot. It's between the two of you, probably more likely. Because I, I, I can tell you I don't have Machine Messiah. But, but uh, yeah, you know what? I think just looking at this, there's just some you can't shy away from. So we'll see what, what happens. But um, all right. So I guess my introduction, uh, as I've talked about before, is that I come from learning about Yes from 90125 and then going back. So that's I, I was a kid in the 80s and that's when I discovered the band and for the longest time I was what 10 years old or something I thought Trevor Rabin was the lead singer because that's what the videos made it look like <laughs> so um and, I, and Trevor Rabin is one of my musical heroes so 
uh, I have to go to that era a little bit. So my mine is going to be a mix of, of uh, old and new, I guess, from that angle. But so when I'm trying to go through what Trevor Rabin era songs do I want to pick, that becomes hard because 90125 is a, a, an amazing record. Um, I ended up not picking a song from that, which surprises me. But um, I decided to go with one song that really always was one that stuck out to me, one that I always go back to. And even though the album is not nearly as good, I'm going with uh, a song off Big Generator, uh, Shoot High, Aim Low, mm-hmm. which is um, really cool. Yeah, really cool kind of, I don't know, sort of dark kind of song for them. Has a, has a great chorus. Just love the whole vibe of it. Um, that was the song that always stuck out for me from that. And, uh, and, and 87 at the time, I think right after that, he released his solo record. That was my heavy Trevor Rabin phase. I can't stress. <laughs> it was like what I listened to a lot. So, uh, yeah. Um, big generator. I listened to the whole album just the other day to try and review some of these things. I, that album gets, I don't know. It gets, uh, kind of pushed aside as, as like the lesser album. I really don't think it's bad. I pr- no, personally, I love it. I, I don't think it's a bad album, um, but shoot high, aim low. So that's where I'm going with my first, my first pick. I'm surprised. I mean, maybe you'll get to it, but to me, the, the the quintessential Trevor Rabin yes song would be "Changes." That's what I would think of immediately when I think of him. But also, uh, uh, what was it? "Endless Dream" from Talk is that? Uh, that's another good one. Yeah, Those were the two. I mean, I had, I had, yeah, that's on my short list of the Trevor Rabin songs. Certainly, "Changes," but I, but you know, I tend to try and not go with like the obvious hit ones if I can help it. I don't know. I'm sort of like that. But um, uh, I remember when, when the Talk album came out, here's a funny Dream Theater uh, reference. When the, the Talk album came out in 94 and either we had just put out Awake or we were done with Awake and we were waiting for it to come out. And then here comes Yes with this trilogy that starts with an instrumental, crazy instrumental, then does like a 10 minute epic in the middle and then closes with an acoustic song. And that was the exact formula we just did with A Mind Beside Itself with the Rodomania Voices and Silent Man. So yeah. we were like, oh my God, they're either ripping us off or they or they just totally beat us to the punch. I can't remember which came out first, <laughs> but I, I love that album as well. Talk To Me was my last favorite, uh, like real favorite Yes album. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think for most of us, that's probably true. Um, if, if we were, if we had been doing this last night, my number five would have been Endless Dream, and it was only <laughs> that I actually switched it out for Machine Messiah. Again, I think, I think when you look at the history of the band, it's really the only album that that John Anderson and Trevor Raymond kind of truly collaborated on. I think a lot of the time it was 
Raven and the other two albums it was Raven leading the way but the thing that I love about Shoot High Aim though was that kind of you know the 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 it's not a duet but the counterpoint vocal that, that they that they do yeah. on it the, uh, you know the blue sedan uh, all that kind of stuff yeah yeah they did the counterpoint where they they sing back and forth it's uh that's good stuff um all right mike you're number four all right once again i'm i'm just coincidentally falling in reverse chronological time so number four for me is the gates of delirium from relayer and uh to me relayer was uh the uh, well, first of all, it was a great album uh, in terms of introducing a new sound with Patrick Moraz in the band. But um, it was it went kind of back to the uh, close to the edge formula of just having like three or four tracks as opposed to, you know, what what topographic was. And uh, Gates of Delirium, I think, is one of those songs that um, just really captured the band's virtuo vir virtuoso playing. Uh, the incredible abstract orchestration and, and arrangements. Uh, but I think it, it was kind of uh, the, the, the more natural uh, the more natural follow-up to Close to the Edge than Topographic was. And it also, it also contains, uh, you know, the, the, the coda at the end with Soon, which is one of the most beautiful, beautiful things in the entire Yes catalog. Stand and fight, we do consider Again, it was it was for me. Relayer was always one of the more difficult albums to get into. Um, but I can remember on the was the Symphonic tour um, mm. where they where they brought out Gates of Delirium again and seeing that show. And one of those moments where you go, well, "All right, now I get this." Now, when you see it, you know, performed live and all that stuff they were doing with the kettle drums and all that kind of stuff it was yeah it was it was amazing mike do you get a chance to to see them when they play on the ship is that or so you know the timing sometimes rarely works out with, with all the stuff all the bands are doing and right i mean yeah I, I always try to make a point to see them uh once every cruise i mean even before the cruises i would always make a point to try to see them once every tour and i've seen them pretty much on every tour and every evolution since the 90125 tour. That was the first tour I saw them live. But I've seen them pretty much on every tour and every cruise since then. Uh, to me, my f my favorite Yes tour by f by miles was the Union tour in 91. Uh, just to see all eight of them up there together was was mind-blowing. And, and I remember going to see that, that show uh, like three times. Just I was so blown away by it. And then I, I did get to see um, the Yes 50th anniversary show this past summer in Philly, which was almost a bit of a union experience as well, because I think at one point they had 10, 10 members up there. I mean, the union tour had eight of them, but this 50th anniversary show I saw had at least 10 of them. So, yeah, I, I still catch them each and every time whenever I can. So I've been able to see all the different incarnations and lineups and different set lists. And I, I remember seeing that symphonic tour where they did the Gates of Delirium. Actually, it was uh, 
uh, I was on tour with Transatlantic. It was 2001 on the Bridge Across Forever tour. And we had a night off in Germany. I think might have been Frankfurt, I think. And um, Alan and, and Chris invited us out. We went to see the show. Uh, all of us, my, myself, Neil, Pete, Royna, and Daniel. And we sat right on the side of the stage. And I remember being blown away by G Gates of Delirium that night. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, all right, Jeff, uh, you're number four. Okay, number four. So I'm sticking at this point with my, my original trilogy of Yes albums. So I'm going to the Yes album on Starship Trooper. And of course, that was the album that brought Steve Howe into the band. And it, it's a song that if you look at the credits, I think this is right. It, you know, the, the opening part is an Anderson piece. Um, the middle bit, you've got Steve Howe doing his acoustic picky country type thing. And then um, you have that amazing ending of uh, Verm, I think is the correct pronunciation, my German friends, um, with the panning uh, crazy guitar solo and you know a sound that was very very different from what had gone before and you know the first steps towards a new direction were you know a band member joined and really made a, a significant difference to to what the band were doing um and of course it's a you know it's it's still a, a staple of their their live show it's still you know one of the great, greatest show closers um big ending <laughs> For me, that song always uh, reminds me of of the, uh, the the cruise you get where you guys play with John Anderson and you mm. you did that set and you closed that out with him. Yeah. And there's like a thousand people on stage all playing yeah. the ending of that song. Totally. Uh, that was that was so insane and epic. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's one of the all time classics uh, for sure. Great song. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go my number four. I'm jumping around. Uh, this is one of the classic songs, uh, title track from Going for the One. Mm. Yeah, Going going for the One song. And what's surprising to, about this song for me is that it's actually, it's listed as a John Anderson piece uh, by himself, which you wouldn't think so, because it's really, you know, one of the more upbeat, kind of rocking songs. Uh, the band did, very guitar driven. Yeah. Um, and uh, good on him for writing something like that. But that song is... Uh, always uh an interesting one for me i love the ending where it just continues to build and those backing vocals are there and the the, the crazy playing and just phenomenal what just one of my all-time favorites Good call. It's a great tune. 
I, I mean, I, I hate that. Like, if you look at my list, I've already passed the, the going for the one album off my <laughs> list, which is a shame because going for the one, the track is great. I love parallels is also great. Awaken is, I'm not the biggest Awaken fan to me. It's a little drawn out, but uh, I really do love that whole album. It's a great, great album. Yeah. I thought Awaken for sure might be, uh, might be one that you went through, but yeah, my, my, I sort of have that feeling too with Awaken. I love the song, but I wish it, it's a couple minutes shorter. Yeah. <laughs> Just one of those things for me. Which is something uh, you never hear from Prague fans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, the other thing I love, going for the one, the brilliant um, example of, Chris Squire doing that kind of strange counterpoint again for the vocal thing that he's doing where he's singing something completely different um but yeah so complimentary um to what John is singing for what's you know quite a quite a straight ahead song and he's but and there's YouTube there's video of the making of the recording of that and Chris is you know singing this stuff that's really really uh really kind of not the natural sort of thing that you would expect someone to be singing along with what john anderson's singing but it's a, it's a great tune yeah awesome uh okay mike you're number three uh well here we go this is uh it's it's unfathomable to me that this would even not be number one but uh <laughs> it, i don't know this, the, the top three here is so tough for me but number three uh close to the edge the, the song the title track uh you know, on some days I might call that number one, definitely days would call it number two. But when I put this list out, it ends up at number three. And to me, it is, it's the quintessential prog sidelong epic. I mean, at that point, um, Genesis was doing, um, you know, Genesis had uh, Supper's Ready and uh, Pink Floyd had Echoes and Adam Hart Mother. And then here come Yes with, with theirs. And it's, Everything about the Close to the Edge album is perfection to me. It's it's one of my favorite albums of all time. And I, and I very easily could have made the one, two, and three spots the entire Close to the Edge album right here. But I, I, <laughs> right. I had to really go out of my way to not do that, to give some other albums representation. Yeah. So I, 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 I purposely left one of them off of this list. But any of those three songs are, are masterpieces. And Close to the Edge, to me, just epitomizes... Uh, the unbelievable musicianship that that was going on with that band that that lineup was just an all star band and Chris Squire, Bill Bruford, Steve Howe, Rick Wakeman, John Anderson. You don't get a stronger pound for pound lineup than that. And uh, I mean, I, I, not to give away any spoilers, but pretty much the the rest of my list is that lineup and comes from 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 those albums. And close to the edges is, is uh, probably the quintessential sidelong epic. How they put those all those parts together on that that title song is um, I don't know how you write that I really don't it's yeah. amazing. Um, it's also one of the I know that you know Bruford said you know once we'd done that he, he said I just went you know I, I don't know what else we can do I just don't, <laughs> right. don't know what else we can do as a band and and that was why he he moved on to do something different and you know yeah it's 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 good to know when to quit I suppose <laughs> yeah yeah uh, all right Jeff number three. 
Number three, yeah, I mean, we were, I think, Roy, you and I said, you know, last night, you could almost do this top five from two albums. Um, and I, I too tried to do a track uh, from at least from five different albums. Number three, um, Heart of the Sunrise. Mm. Um, you know, the Yes album um, from before, Starship Trooper, then they bring in Rick and you've got a Mellotron, you've got a Moog, the piano, the organ, you have a whole array, array of new sounds that are bringing a complete you know new dynamic to what the band is doing and what they're capable of doing and again a, to me just a quintessential prog track um mike was talking earlier on about um working on something like the great adventure and uh, the whole process of themes from earlier in the song reappearing later on recapitulation i think is the correct musical term for that <laughs> you learn something new every time um, yeah, uh, but you know th- that is again to me it's a it's a prog blueprint um, mm-hmm. within a song, and um, it's yeah you know it's it's got ever everything that's great about yes um, from the individual musicianship to the compositional stuff to the arrangement, it's all there in eight or nine minutes. Yeah, agreed. Love comes to you, and then after. I'm going to pass because I might have more to say on it later. Um, <laughs> uh, foreshadowing. Okay, so like I said, I'm jumping around on mine, no particular timeline order, uh, and I am including Trevor Rabin era stuff. So I hope I don't get uh, too much flack for this one, but I'm going back to the Rabin era. And uh, this song, um, for me, epitomizes that era for me and what I like about what he brought to the band and how he made it that sort of uh, uh, 80s polished metal vibe that was that I kind of have a soft spot for. And it's uh, Lift Me Up from Union. Mm. And I love the opening guitar riff, that kind of shredding thing. It has that 80s kind of big production, that massive production. Uh, and I love the... Love the chorus, love the whole hook. I mean, this is one of my all-time favorite Yes songs. It's not very quintessential Yes, fair enough, but uh, it's more a Trevor Rabin solo song that they just threw on Union, I think. But um, uh, one I had to give some some props to because it's one that I 
that I always uh, still really loved. And um, I think, again, I'll, I'll say, I don't think Union's a terrible record. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's not the most consistent album, um, kind of goes all over the place. And, and uh, but there's a lot of really good songs on there. And this one was, was always my favorite. What to do, I find it hard to know. I think the Trevor Raven era stuff doesn't get enough credit for its subtle nuances that are, that are really progressive. And I, I don't think I even fully appreciated it till I did the Chris Squire tribute a few years ago, because mm. yes, yes guys kind of asked me to stay away from the stuff that they were doing in their set already. So that kind of took away, you know, the S yes album and, and, and drama and took all those off the table for me. So I kind of had to focus a little bit more on the eighties. Yes. And at first I was like, Oh, this is going to be easy. But once we started rehearsing the stuff, like songs like changes and uh, city of love. And uh, we did uh, uh, what was it? Cinema, the, the uh, instrumental before hold on. Yeah. I mean, so that stuff is really more complicated than you think. The nuances in the arrangements and the instrumentation is is subtle but really just as yes as any of the 70s stuff yeah yeah no i agree absolutely he's a great great musician um i i love the union album when it came out and again that that you know a lot of this is you know pre-internet um we didn't know a lot of the history of you know what was happening with the band they're just an album just appeared and you know it, it was great and it was interesting to hear the combinations that song to me was always a standout and miracle of life that's also in that album is a is another really um sort of proggy influenced song too yeah it's weird i, I agree because when you first got that album you go oh how cool they all got together and made an album and you have no idea what the real story is now you right. go back and you read and you realize that they all hated the idea well, <laughs> it was two different albums but yeah. together yeah basically the the big generator <laughs> band and you had the anderson bruford wakeman howe band yeah. and, Put it all together. Yeah, I, was, I was a huge. I, I should give a, a honorable mention to the Anderson Bruford Wakeman Howe album. I loved that album when it came out. It was sure. a big, big influence on the, uh, me and the guys in Dream Theater when it came out in '88 or '9, whatever it was. Yeah, awesome. I, I, it's an album I love. Although I think with time, the the drum sound on it, I find mm. it quite hard to listen to. It really yeah jars a little bit. But I can see that. Could remix that, okay. but I remember seeing I remember seeing that tour as well with Tony Levin on bass, mm -hmm. and uh, you know coming off of Big Generator and 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 uh, it was like wow well that that was as close as we got in the eighties to the classic lineup you know, but it was just weird to not have Chris part of it, yeah. But Tony yeah. Levin was a, was a great substitute. He he did great, yeah. But again, well, and uh, probably the, one of the last tours where they sort of played nearly the whole album. 
you know, I think, you know, before maybe they, they got into feeling that they had 80% of the set needed to be um, stuff mm. from, from way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Mike, you're number two. Uh, once again, I uh, have to get something else off the Close to the Edge album. And, and You and I is, uh, to me, one of the, the, the greatest songs ever written by any band. It's in my top, you know, 10 of all, all-time songs from anybody. Um, it was tough putting it before Close to the Edge because Close to the Edge is more, like I said before, the quintessential prog epic. But And You and I is just so beautiful. More than anything else, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And I love the live version. I, I, I tend to gravitate towards the Yes Songs version, which begins with the big Mellotron theme and everything because I think that's that's the part. Like my, I get goosebumps when I hear that theme. And it was a great idea for them to open the live version with that theme before getting into the whole uh, acoustic bit. Um, yeah, it, it's a perfectly written and executed song. And, and I had the honor of uh, covering it with Transatlantic and even cooler uh, playing it with Transatlantic and John Anderson on the on the, the Progressive Nation cruise. That was one of those moments that will forever be a highlight of my life and career. Yeah, playing, it, playing that opening theme and then hitting it again at the end, uh, incredible. Originally, because uh, Transatlantic had just covered And You and I, so when I started talking to John about doing this Yes set, uh, I figured, okay, well, we got to do And You and I. We're, we're a, th- a third of the way there. Why don't we just do the whole Close to the Edge album? And that would be our set. And he was like, ah, that's just too complicated. I don't want to get into, you know, Close to the Edge is a lot of work. And uh, I'd rather keep it simple. Let's just stick with the simple stuff. We'll do Starship Trooper. We'll do Long Distance Runaround and keep it simple. It's like, all right, well, okay, sure. And then a couple of days later, I get a phone call from him and he says, well, I just had an epiphany. I think, what do you think about the idea of doing the entire side one of Tales from Topographic Oceans? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we went off the complete opposite deep end. He went from wanting to dial it in and do the simple stuff to now like, you know, getting into this, one of the most complex pieces of music I've ever had to learn in my life. And we did it. We spent uh, at least an hour at every sound check throughout the Transatlantic tour, learning that piece and rehearsing it. And it was uh, it was a, a huge undertaking. Not because the playing is so hard, but that arrangement is so unorthodox. And it wasn't until we got into rehearsals with John on the ship where he was like conducting things that I actually it made sense. And I was like, Oh, now I get it. You know, he's kind of conducting the transitions, but after, but before we even did it in rehearsal, John was like, eh, maybe we shouldn't do that. And it was like, what are you kidding me? We just spent like the last <laughs> learning this piece. We are doing it We're there. You're not backing out now. So yeah, we did it. So I will say playing that, uh, you know, that was, that was a monumental mammoth epic cover 
But coming back to my list and you and I, for me, was the goosebumps moments for, me, for myself. Again, uh, watching that performance that night, it was the last night of the cruise. Uh, for you, one of the highlights, playing it for me, one of my all-time greatest things I've ever seen. That, that night of, was, was awesome. Uh, Jeff, are we right? You're number two, right? Yeah. Yeah, number two. Number two. I, I, yeah, I've, I was biting my tongue earlier on while the two of you sat and told me that a wagon needed to be trimmed by a few <laughs> <laughs> it's been too long. Uh, yeah, no, a wagon is my number two. Um, and again, I think probably I'm, I'm a big fan of Relayer, but I think that um, Rick coming back to the band for that album, it perhaps reined in some of the sort of jazz fusion direction that, that that they were maybe taking with Patrick Moraz and um, you know an album that it that sounds like a true full band collaboration and I remember on I think it was very serious um, that they the, the, yes did a kind of talk through how we wrote this song and how all the different bits came together from Steve Howe having the cycle of um, chords that you know, goes round and round and round to um, them getting the church organ in Veve and recording it down the high quality telephone lines in the studio. So with Rick and John, with the pipe organ and the harp um, and the rest of the guys in the studio and that brilliant guitar solo, the choir, it's got, you know, the full, uh, you know, it's got the full works going on. Uh, to me, it's it, it's a great song, and I, I've seen them play it live a couple of times, and just one of those great moments. I I love the version that they. Um, I didn't see the tour, but I've seen some of the recordings of the Union tour with you know with the extra band members there, and again, you know, a huge sound of that. Um, so awaken. Uh, yeah, it's it 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 was vying for my number one slot. Um, mm. And it, it's it's definitely a solid number. Well, two. good. I I know most Yes fans consider it top, probably in the top five, six, seven Yes songs. For many, it's you hear a lot. It's their favorite. So glad it has some representation on our on our list here for sure. It's a great song. We're just nitpicking, just because. Um, uh, okay, so my number two, I'm going to end up going a little bit more, I guess, traditional and stuff that has already been talked about. But again, I felt like there's just a, a couple of songs that uh, you can't uh, leave out under under any circumstance. So my number two is uh, Close to the Edge. Hmm. Um, just the masterpiece. You know, I, I tried to find other songs that I may want to put in because I figured it might be on the list some some by somebody but uh yeah I just uh, it's it's like you said quintessential yes it's everything it's it's the blueprint to what every band that ever came after is doing and uh you know just a phenomenal work of 
art of genius. So, um, yeah, this by number two is uh, the title track. Yeah, can't 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 argue with that for all the reasons I already said. Yeah, yeah. not not much more to say, right? Yeah, no, I mean um, it's 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 almost hard to not make it number one for me at least. You know, it's 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 on certain days it is number one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, so let's see your number one. I think maybe we have a clue based on what you said, but let's see what it is. It's got to be Heart of the Sunrise. I think it's uh, uh, maybe the quintessential Prague song ever. It, it is, like Jeff already said, it, it was kind of the blueprint, and you kind of alluded to that with Close to the Edge as well, but I think Heart of the Sunrise being the first one written, um, right. it really set the blueprint for how progressive music could be written. And the incredible story uh, is that they wrote uh, that and Roundabout in Rick Wakeman's very first rehearsal with the band. At least that, that's how, uh, you know, the folklore, the, the, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's the story as, as it's been told. But <laughs> Rick's first rehearsal, they wrote pretty much roundabout and Heart, Heart of the Sunrise in one sitting, which is ridiculous. But Heart of the Sunrise, it's got all the themes, the, 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 the nuances, the intricacies, uh, the themes coming back and being restated and reprised and the ups and the downs and it's beautiful and it's technical. And, uh, and surprisingly it clocks in under 10 minutes, I believe. Uh, one of those rare cases where you did get everything in the kitchen sink in under 10 minutes. And uh, it's to me the greatest yes song ever written. Have you ever uh, covered it, Mike? Uh, I did. I covered it with Dream Theater, believe it or not. It was a one-off. Uh, back in the early 2000s, obviously, we were doing the full albums, but then I also got into this uh, idea of just doing one-off songs in certain places. You know, we played San Francisco, so I put in a Journey song. We played mm -hmm. London, and I put in a Queen song or whatever. Um, and Heart of the Sunrise was one of those one-off covers we did. Um, I can't remember offhand which city we played it in. Oh, I think it was Paris, now that I think about it. Uh, randomly Paris, just because it was a, a, a big major city and we were at the Zenith and I wanted to do something special. And yeah, we covered it once and we put it out on one of the It's A Jam official bootlegs, one of the uncovered compilation discs. And uh, yeah, that's the only time I had covered it. Hmm. I don't think I've heard that. That must be somewhere. Yeah, it's, it, definitely, it's out there. You've talked about a few of the songs you've covered. What's the... If you if you had to pick one for the next cruise or for the next cover show, what would what would what's the yes song you haven't covered yet? Well, I mean, I'm looking at this list here. I, you know, I did Heart of the Sunrise with Dream Theater. I did and you and I with Transatlantic. I did Machine Messiah with Dream Theater, at least a bit of it. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, the glaring one here is that I, I have yet to cover Close to the Edge, the song, which is uh, pretty surprising. So, I guess that's still. Uh, the one that's uh, waiting to be covered. But my, I mean, my yes list between the, the, the John Anderson show and the Chris Squire show, I did get to bang out some cool ones on the Chris Squire show. Like I always wanted to do no opportunity necessary, no experience needed. So we got to do that there. And right. we got to do um, uh, every little thing, which was fun being a, both a Beatles and a yes fan. Uh, so I would say close to the edge or maybe America, the yes version of America yeah. is another one that would be fun to cover someday. So I guess those are a couple that are still waiting in the wings. And and dream line up to cover close to the edge. Go. Well, it would, <laughs> it would be it'd have to be Transatlantic or or Neil Morse band. You know, I, I think those are the two bands that are most rooted in this real traditional prog stuff. So that you know that would be the right the right place for it. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right, Jeff. Let's see what you got. Your big number one. 
Number one, well, yeah, this may not come as a surprise, having talked about it twice, close to the edge. That's <laughs> my, my number one. Um, yeah, I actually just this year read there, there's been an entire book written about the recording of that album, which is which I is have really, that book. Yeah, yeah, I was there. You know, really a really good music book is one that makes you listen to the music in a different way. And one of the things I love that it says about that book was that you know once they'd finished, you know, they started off recording all of these bits, putting them together. Once they finished it, they actually had to learn how to play it because it had never been done from from start from start to finish that's um, welcome to my world that's the way it's been yeah. for my last 40 <laughs> albums <laughs> that's the norm these days i think yeah and you know you know playing gigs and you know driving to a gig in scotland coming back down having to set it up and do it all over again you know back in the day um yeah you know look you've, you've already said enough about it for for me to say that's so so that song has the uh, a one a two and a three slot on this list which is not huh. too bad yeah um so yeah i i figured as much number one is going to make it a, a, a trio for a, a second song. So my, my number one is also Heart of the Sunrise. So wow. That's two number ones. That's though. two number ones. <laughs> wow. So, uh, again, not very surprising. Um, Does that mean you win a cabin on the cruise? No? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, look, this was always um, – the one that I think is like you said, it's the, it's, it, it sort of covers everything. What I like about it for me is when you get to see it live, um, it just gives you chills. The, the, the epic ending of it. It's just so awesome. And uh, that's what always stands out to me. There's a couple of, a couple of classic prog songs that when I watch on a live DVD or happen to be watching live at a show, that just make me go nuts every time. And this is one of them. I think the other one is probably musical box by, Genesis when every time I see Steve Hackett perform it I can't even believe how awesome it is and uh, so the, it's it's up there in one of those sort of type of songs for me To me, the surprising omission is Siberian Catru, and it took everything in my power to not put it in there. Actually, there's a few surprising ones. None of us put Roundabout. 
I that's mean, not, I didn't think roundabout would make it. That's great. Right, Cause it's that's like the Tom, awesome. that's the Tom Sawyer for yes, yeah, but, exactly. but still there's no denying its greatness. And <laughs> also, uh, yours is no disgrace is a, a surprising omission. Yeah, yeah. I almost did Siberian Ketru instead of close to the edge. That was a close call just cause I thought someone else might have close to the edge, but, um, in my reevaluating, I made the, the last minute change, but, but yeah, I agree. Uh, you did. We did get a Yes album song in here, Starship Trooper, Jeff. So thank you for yeah. that. We didn't leave that out. Um, I think the other thing it's it's been mentioned already. And I actually forgot to mention this when I was talking about Starship Trooper. But actually, Yes songs itself. You know, in in many cases, I think the versions on that album are really the definitive versions of a lot of these songs. Certainly, Starship Trooper. Um, has a big Wakeman solo in it, and you know the the. the I actually recently dug out my vinyl of um, Yes songs and put on Close to the Edge, and I actually had to check that the speed was right because <laughs> it'd been so long since I'd listened to it. You know, they they play that at such a rate. You know, and I think you know their chops at that stage were just absolutely. But it should be mentioned the big big difference is that Yes songs had Alan playing the song, other than Perpetual Change, which was Bruford. And to me, that was a huge difference. And, and I love Alan, and I love uh, the rock groove that he brought to the band. But to me, when I think of, you know, the, to me, the Holy Trinity is uh, Yes Album, Fragile, and Close to the Edge. And to me, all three of those albums was, you know, was Bruford a, a huge part of that equation and that sound and that style. So that's the only reason I, I tend to go to the studio versions as opposed to the live versions. And that's with all due respect and love to Alan, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, before we let you go, actually, we should let you talk about your percussive nation uh, event coming up. Um, you know, tell people about that who maybe haven't heard, maybe they're not following on Facebook, but that seems like a pretty awesome event. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, the next big thing for me after uh, Cruise to the Edge. And I just love these kind of events. And, and this is another great example of, uh, you know, getting a, an incredible roster together. And, and I, I did two uh, music camps with the Winery Dogs back in, uh, I think it was 2014 and 15, I think. And we did these music camps and they were a lot of fun. But in those cases, they were actually on campgrounds, you know, in cabins and stuff. Uh, this one is, is Percussive Nation 2019, but it's going to be at a resort in Scottsdale, Arizona. So it's not uh, a camp like you're in the woods. You're going to be at a beautiful resort with swimming pools and all kinds of you know restaurants. And it's going to be a great getaway for a week, a great summer vacation. Um, but it's a music camp. It's not just a drum camp. Uh, it, the, 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 the blueprint and the basis is based on drummers. You have myself, Greg Bissonette, um, Simon Phillips and Blake Richardson from Between the Buried and Me. So the foundation is is rooted in drummers, but then we have these great guitar players and bass players as well. We have uh, Alex Skolnick from Testament on guitar, uh, the great Tony McAlpine, mm -hmm. uh, Chris Broderick, who used to be in Megadeth. And then in bass world, we have, of course, uh, two of my fellow rhythm section players, Billy Sheehan and Dave LaRue. So it's, it's really a, a combination of... Uh, Drums, guitar, bass, you have rock, metal, fusion, prog, and, uh, you know, you could imagine all of the um, different lineup configurations that's going to happen. I mean, I, I play with Dave in Flying Colors. I play with Billy in Winery Dogs and Sons of Apollo. I play with Alex in, in Metal Allegiance. So 
there's all these different combinations of players. Uh, the possibilities are endless. And all day and all night, um, you get to go to workshops and clinics and classes, and it's very interactive. Uh, it's not just going to be the students sitting there watching us. I mean, the students are going to be a part of it, and they get to jam with us and play with us. Uh, and you get basically to live, breathe, and eat, you know, together for, for, for four days, uh, all under, you know, this giant roof. And it's a lot of fun. We did it with the winery dog, dog camp. And it ended up being a, a great, great time, no matter what instrument you play, no matter what level you're at, even if you don't play at all, even if you're just a fan and you just want to attend and be able to witness, you know, a really cool, intimate experience. It's, uh, it's going to be uh, an amazing event. It sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> another one, yeah. another one of these things to to get people out to. But I mean, you get closer than ever now to some of the these music legends like yourself and all the guys you're talking about with with all these kind of events at Morse Fest and Cruise to the Edge and whatever. And it's awesome. Exactly. I mean, it's a it's for a, and a and they also they, they create a, a bit of a family. Like I know everybody that goes to Morse Fest each year, they all know each other. They be created a little community. Same thing with the dog camps when we did that. You know, these people were jamming together and living together and eating their meals together. So when you leave after a couple of days, you feel like, you know, you're, you're you know, leaving summer camp and, and saying goodbye to friends. And, and <laughs> this camp will be very much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Morse Fest has been that for, for Jeff and myself and a lot of the guys that we've met on there where we've all become really close friends and it's yeah. uh, an added bonus of one of these, these type of events for sure. Uh, I always wanted to ask you one, one more question. Uh, when, when is there going to be a, 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 just an album or a band called Portnoy where okay. it's just, that's it. It's your thing, you know, guest singers, your band. Yeah. Like, when is that happening? I've thought about it for years, you know, I just haven't had a chance, like literally, you know, for eight years now, since I left Dream Theater, my plate has been so full, I haven't had a break. I went right from Dream Theater into Flying Colors and Adrenaline Mob and working with John Sykes and, uh, you know, continuing to work with Neil and Transatlantic and and then came Winery Dogs, and then came Sons of Apollo, and then came Metal Allegiance and Twisted Sister. And <laughs> it's just, it, I haven't had a chance to breathe. Yeah. And I would love to do it. I, I have sitting in my phone for years now a note, okay, one of these days, this will be my, my solo album. And, and my, my dream was to do a, a four-sided album where each side was a different style. You know, one side I could do like a power pop thing, collaborating with like Damon Fox from Big L or Mike, uh, Mark Michael from Pillbugs, you know, yeah, Jason right. Faulkner, or Roger Manning, tap into that on one side. Then another side, I could do a thrash thing with, you know, with all my Metal Allegiance friends. And then another side, I could do a, a prog metal thing. You know, that that's my idea of doing this thing where I could collaborate with all these different friends, but yet ultimately, you know, control the whole thing, maybe even sing on a lot of it. But yeah. I, I just, I haven't had a chance. I really, uh, and, and it doesn't seem like the train is slowing down any point soon for me to, jump off so <laughs> i don't know it, it's maybe just one of those retirement dreams that you know maybe someday down the road but uh i mean a shattered fortress gave me a little taste of having my band and and being the leader and running the show and kind of being the focus and that was fun i loved doing the shattered fortress and i loved uh, revisiting the dream theater material um you know so i got a bit of a taste of a, a quote-unquote portnoy show or tour with that uh, but once again, I just, I, I have six other bands of guys that are <laughs> counting on me, you know, for, the, they, for their schedules and their income. So I can't exactly just stop. 
True. Yeah. And, well, and, and Mike, are you are you uh, you know are you a George Harrison who has a uh, a folder full of you know songs or stuff that you've written that kind of no. doesn't find a home, or do you are you do you write specifically for what you're doing at the time? I never ever write on my own. As I mentioned earlier, I am a, a collaborator for, first and foremost, and it was even that way in Dream Theater. Uh, in Dream Theater, I wrote a lot of the lyrics, and with that came writing a lot of vocal melodies and vocal parts. And I've done a little bit bit of that since Dream Theater, but for the most part, my assets my strength is that of a collaborator a co-producer a co-writer and every one of the bands i'm with that's my role but i'm not the sort that have ideas every once in a while i'll hum a riff or a pattern or a melody into my phone and then they'll get utilized somewhere but for the most part my creative juices get going when i'm sitting in a room with with bumblefoot and billy sheen and Derek, or if i'm sitting in a room with neil and and eric and bill and randy or if i'm sitting in a room with casey and dave and steve or if i'm sitting in a room with alex skolnick and dave elveson in all these cases it's my collaborators and the guys i write with that's what energizes me and and uh gets me inspired and that's where the ideas start to flow from yeah well Someone's got to be the puppet master with all these things. And you, it seems like you, they all say, every, you know, whenever I interview anybody and uh, we talk about, well, how, you know, how'd you come up with the order or how'd you come up with, you know, this or that for the album that they, they always go, well, that's, we just give it to Mike. It's my thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I guess being a music lover, like you guys, I'm really OCD and, and excited and pumped up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get very, very, uh, you know, anal with with organizing all of those things from the music to the sequence to the production and to the artwork to the merch just that's always been my thing you know all these years awesome well uh look man thanks again it's always fun we love having you do this thank you so much for for being a a, a huge part of the of the what the pro report does and thank you uh, and everything we love having you and uh man everything you have coming down is awesome neil morris band great adventure comes out january 25th and it's another just insane masterpiece. Uh, and of course, Cruise to the Edge coming up and everything yeah. after that. So um, thanks, guys. And happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas and all that. And we'll, we'll see you soon. Same to you guys. See ya. All right, Bye. guys. Bye. Bye.